Good morning. My name is Jace Albright, and I'm a community group leader and on the board of directors here at Church of the Valley. And I'm also on the Antioch training program to help prepare me for vocational ministry. And this summer, we're looking at some stories from the Bible. And these stories were recorded to give us an idea of what lessons we can learn and things we can take away from them to apply to our lives. And a lot of stories we've looked at so far, like Noah and the Ark, Joshua and the Battle of Jericho, and Samson, were probably familiar. But this is one story that we're going to talk about today that may not be quite as familiar familiar to you, but it's honestly one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament. One of my personal heroes, Nehemiah. Nehemiah is one of my personal heroes, and he reminds me a lot of one of my heroes in life as well. And this guy was the best man in my wedding, and I named my son, Riley James, after this guy. That guy is my dad, James Albright. And this guy is a mighty man of God. He's led his family well, and he's been faithful, hardworking leader in both business and in the ministry of his church. Now, I grew up in New Mexico and West Texas, and in the 80s when I was born, the oil field took a dive, and the price of oil, my dad told me, was around $8 a barrel, which is really, really low. So at that time, a lot of banks started to call in loans, businesses started to close, and many families in that area suffered and really struggled, mine included, because most worked in some aspect of the oil industry. And so at the time, my dad and his good friend decided, well, rather than staying here on commission, why don't we go start our own business and see if we can make a living that way? There's no guarantee that it would work. And so my dad prayed, and then he asked God for his favor, and he proceeded forward in faith, not really sure if it would work out. But as he started to work hard, he and his friend Don began to build a business, and it had a battle during that time against anxiety, worry, discouragement, and fear. And I'm sure they faced all this, but it didn't dissuade them. They just continued to press on. And this required a lot of sacrifice from his family and ours. I remember my mom and my dad both having to sell a lot of things around the house and things that were important to them in order to pay the bills each month as they were trying to get this business started. But during this trying time, God also got my dad's attention. My dad was really trying to trust God and and follow him and be faithful. And as he did, God pointed out some areas that my dad needed to clean up. My dad, wanting to be faithful, chose to clean up those areas of his life and became an even better man through this process because he chose to submit his life to God and do life God's way but not his own. Over time, God blessed his faithfulness and his hard work and he and his friend Don grew a successful business. This required my dad to continue to pray and proceed forward in faith to build a family and a business as he battled against those fears and worries and anxieties and discouragements. And he had to trust God to pursue pursue opportunities that God put in front of him in both the ministry at our church and in the family. And in these ways, my dad reminds me a lot of Nehemiah. So like Caleb mentioned a few weeks ago, when he talked about the story of Samson, the people of Israel had gotten into a cycle of turning their backs on God and choosing to do what was right in their own eyes and evil in the sight of God. In response to this, God, as a loving father, he couldn't allow them to continue in a rebellion. And he would often allow foreign adversaries to come in and overtake the people. In their oppression, they would call out to God for deliverance and turn back to him. God, in his mercy, would then raise up a deliverer to free the people from their oppressor. And initially, the, pay, the people would be faithful to God, but over time, their hearts would turn back to doing what they thought was right, what they wanted, what they felt they deserved, doing evil in the sight of God and doing what was right in their own eyes. And during one of these cycles around the year 586 B.C., God allowed King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire to come in and conquer Israel because the people had once again turned their backs on God and started to do what was right in their own eyes. 
uh, King Nebuchadnezzar carried off the majority of the, of the Israelites into captivity, and he destroyed Jerusalem because he wanted to make a stand against these people. He tore down their walls. He burned their gates in their city and just destroyed it. He carried off their treasures and treasures from the temple of God and took it back to his empire. He left Jerusalem in ruins, and for the next 70 years, the people lived in a foreign land as servants and slaves to the Babylonians and then later to the Persian kings. But God had spoken to the prophet Jeremiah and said that he would bring the Israelites back to their homeland, and God kept his promise. So around 539 BC, King Cyrus of the Persian Empire defeated the Babylonians, and the next year, King Cyrus made a decree that the people of God could leave their land of exile and then return to their homeland. And we see this in the first chapter of the book of Ezra. And the, by the year 520, the temple was rebuilt in Jerusalem. And it wasn't as big or extravagant as the one built by King Solomon, but it was rebuilt nonetheless so that the people could once again begin to worship God. And this is around the time we pick up our story. The book of Nehemiah tells the story of a man of God living in exile in the time of the Babylonian captivity. The Persian Empire had reached its greatest extent, engulfing nearly the entire Near East. King Xerxes, famous for his battle of Thermopylae and ultimate defeat and retreat from Greece, was um, the father of King Artaxerxes, the ruler of the Persian Empire where our story takes place. Nehemiah was a Jew serving as a cupbearer to the king. And for perspective, Nehemiah lived around the same time as Socrates and Plato. So at this time, at the start of the book, uh, Nehemiah's brother, Hanani, comes to him from Judah, and he tells Nehemiah that this, about the state of Jerusalem, that their walls were still broken down, their gates were burned, and the city was, in, was destroyed. And this really broke Nehemiah's heart. So we read in Nehemiah 1, 4 through 11, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. So Nehemiah was a man of prayer. When he faced challenging times, he prayed. When he found success, he prayed. We have over 10 prayers recorded in the book of Nehemiah that he prayed. This opening prayer that we see at the start of Nehemiah 1 gives us a good picture of different aspects of prayer. Right at the start of this book, we see his raw emotions. He cried and he mourned, and then he turned to God in prayer. He began his prayer with adoration, recognizing God and his character. He then confessed his sin and the sins of, the, of his people, asking God to remember the promises that he had made to the people. He also asked God to hear his prayer. And we, we see the end uh, of his prayer in verse 11 with, Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, referring to King Artaxerxes. 
So Nehemiah was about to go to the king with a huge ask, but he was still heartbroken about the state of his home and his people. But after he prayed, he got back to work. Now, at this time, it was actually forbidden to be sad in front of the king's presence. He was supposed to bring you joy, so you weren't allowed to be sad before him. And at this time, Nehemiah's heart was so heartbroken, he apparently couldn't hide what was going on on the inside. So when the king noticed he was sad, Nehemiah was really afraid. He was not only afraid because this was actually capital crime to be sad in front of his king, but because he had a huge favor to ask as well. When the king asked why he was sad, he told him about the state of his home and his people. So we pick up our story in chapter 2, 1 through 6. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. So despite his fear, he didn't lie. He was honest before his king. And as he told the king, God answered Nehemiah's prayer in a quick, in a really big way. God gave him favor in the eyes of the king. He asked to return to Judah to rebuild the city and its walls. And not only did the king listen to his, his request, it says it actually pleased the king to help him out. So Nehemiah had been a faithful servant to the king. And the king in turn showed him kindness and favor. So the king granted him the time needed to go complete the rebuilding he gave him letters of permission to pass through other lands on the way. He gave him an official seal of approval from the king, showing that this was his, his, uh, he had his approval to do this. He gave him a royal escort for protection. And he gave him materials and finances to complete the rebuilding tasks. So on the screen, you can see a map that looks at the route that the people of uh, Israel took going to the Babylonian Empire in exile. And the orange line on the map is from Susa to Jerusalem that Nehemiah and his people took to go. So you can see it was a very long, hard journey to get back to their homeland. Upon arrival in Jerusalem, Nehemiah rode around the city alone at night to inspect the condition of the city and the walls and to make a list of what needed to be done, the materials, the cost and the time. All that would need to be done. And it was a lot worse than he had anticipated. But this didn't dissuade him. So in chapter 2, 17 through 18, we read, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we may no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us, restart, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. So as if building a city wall wasn't a big enough task, Nehemiah and the people faced a lot of opposition to the work that God had given them to do. Nehemiah faced scorn and slander, threats from surrounding enemies. After the destruction of Jerusalem, when King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it, the Israelites were taken into captivity and the surrounding people groups moved in to take over their land. So the last thing they wanted was for their enemies to come back and rebuild their city walls and take back the land that they had now occupied for a while. 
These guys mocked Nehemiah, and they conspired against him and tried to frame him as a usurper to the king, saying he was really trying to throw down the king. But in response to this, Nehemiah prayed, he planned, and he pressed on with the work. So opposition from his enemies wasn't actually all he faced. His own people were demoralized and afraid. They complained that there was too much rubble to rebuild upon, and that no matter where they turned, an enemy could attack them from any side. But again, rather than getting discouraged that his people were demoralized and afraid, we see in chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. This is one of my favorite pictures from this story. Where the wall was lowest and most vulnerable, men stood in the gaps to protect their homes, their families, and their people. The other men held a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other, always ready to defend themselves by, by not letting it stop them from doing what needed to be done. These men of courage pressed forward and they did the hard thing, trusting in God and not giving in to fear or discouragement. When difficulties come, it can be real easy to let conflict and discouragement set in. But there is no triumph without trouble. As he pressed on and led his people, these men completed the mission that God had given them. So Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed the walls around 140 years before the time of Nehemiah. And after having lain in ruins for over 100 years, the walls and the gates were repaired in just 52 days It's not known how much was still standing that these guys had to work with and how much had to be rebuilt. But we know the walls are around two and a half miles long, averaging 40 feet high and eight feet thick. The walls they built, yeah, they weren't as big or as nice as they once were, but they were up and the people were safer. In Nehemiah 6.16, we read, When all our enemies heard heard about this, All the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. The enemy saw that only with the help of God could such a great work have been completed. I mean, 52 days to rebuild the whole wall. When we step out in obedience to God and we do the work that he's called us to do, he's going to help us complete it. And as we do, it shows people around us that God is real and that he's working in our lives and in the lives of his people. Had it just been the work of the people, their enemies wouldn't have been disheartened. They were only afraid because they knew that this wall could not have been rebuilt if God did not help them. And that's what made them afraid. Nehemiah's objective was not only to rebuild the wall for physical protection and to see his city rebuilt, but he also was concerned about the people's spiritual lives and that those were rebuilt as well. The safety of the walls provided them with a place um, to start rebuilding their nation, but they had to start with centering their lives around um, their worship on God. After helping the people complete the wall, Nehemiah led his people as their governor for both social and religious reform. 
prior governors that came before had abused their power. And they heavily taxed the people and took luxurious food from them and lived luxurious lifestyles. But Nehemiah refused to take the food or the money allotted to him as governor because he really wanted to model to the people that he was here serving God. He wasn't there to take power for himself. Now, when this happened, um, as the people left Babylonia and went back to Jerusalem, only about 2% of the Jews stepped out in faith and left Persia to return home to Jerusalem. Those that did are recorded in chapter 7. So how cool would that be to be recorded in the Bible as people who stepped out in faith to follow God instead of just staying home where they were? The people who returned were hungry to learn about God and to grow in their faith and follow him. From what history tells us, the Jewish people actually had it pretty good in Persia. Yeah, they were servants, but they had a level of autonomy. As long as they didn't rebel against the king, they could actually have religious freedom, and they were in a safe, secure, and prosperous nation that was actually pretty technologically advanced and luxurious at the time. So those who chose to leave um, and return to Jerusalem chose to walk away from safety, provision and comfort for a long, hard journey to a foreign and dangerous land that they were going to have to rebuild themselves. It probably looked really foolish for the rest of the people who stayed behind as they saw those 2% leave and go home. But often when you step out in faith to follow God, it looks like foolishness to the rest of the world. These people had faith knowing that if they stepped out to trust God, that God was going to take care of them and he was going to provide for them and help them accomplish what they needed to do. So leaving behind the safety that they knew and stepping out in faith was purely an act of trusting God. So as the people sought to, um, they rebuilt the walls, they got the city rebuilt. Next step was to rebuild their religious and social lives. And so the people built a platform for the priest Ezra, who helped rebuild the temple, to stand on. And they gathered at dawn to hear him read from the book of the law of Moses. And this is the first five books of the Bible. So they gathered at dawn and Ezra read from the book of the law till way past noon. So don't worry, I'm not going to go for that long today. We're getting to the end here, but I wanted to tell you this whole amazing story. But as you can see, the hunger these people had to know and follow God was already showing that God was working in their hearts even before they got to Jerusalem. These men stood in respect as the scroll was opened and Ezra and the priests read from the, read from the God's word. And the people in turn responded in thanks and worship and praise to God. And you can see that God works in our hearts the same way. As you read or listen to God's word, he often moves your heart and shows you areas that you need to submit to him and sins you may need to ask forgiveness for. As the people heard the word of God read for the first time in their lives, they were convicted of the words that they heard and they were, they were moved by the realization of their own sin. In Nehemiah 8, 9, we see, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. So these people wept as they heard the word of God taught and explained to them because they were convicted about their sin and rebellion against God. They had not followed his commands and they had gotten really far off track in their lives. Nehemiah stood and encouraged the people to not be disheartened by their sin, but to rejoice because God was doing a really great work among them in their hearts and in the restoration of their city and their nation. He was bringing them back. Nehemiah 8.10 says, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our God. 
Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This line, the joy of the Lord is your strength, is the main phrase in my favorite song of all time. God outlines the standards of, of, of our, for our lives in his word, the Bible. When you come around the church, the body, the people of God, the people who follow him, it can be easy to compare your life with those around you. It seems like other people have it all together, while, some of, while we only see our own failures and our faults. But the Israelites, they were kind of the same way. At this point, when they heard the word, they really only saw their failures. As God's word was read, it was like a light shining down on their hearts, just showing all the gunk and the bad stuff that was inside. Naturally, they were sad and they were ashamed of the choices they had made. And this is why they were weeping and full of sorrow. But here Nehemiah is telling the people, don't grieve, rejoice, because the joy of the Lord is their strength. This is God's grace. He has made a way for us to be forgiven and to be restored back to him. So you don't have to feel trapped in guilt and shame when you mess up. There is hope for the hopeless. And there is opportunities to get forgiven and move past the mistakes that you've made if you allow God to transform your heart and draw, draw your, uh, let him draw you to him. So in the rest of Nehemiah, we see the people making many changes in their personal lives, their culture, and doing all they can to follow God. They wanted to be faithful to him. They had forgotten about how to live life God's way. But as they heard God's word read to them, and as it was taught to them, and helped as it was, they were shown how to follow it and apply it to their lives, they changed and they obeyed and they fell in line with God's word. With joy, they dedicated their priests and the wall and they began living in line with God's word. With a restored wall and gates, after instituting religious and social reform, Nehemiah went back to Persia, uh, to King Artaxerxes, and resumed his role as cupbearer, as he had promised. He had to return one more time to oust a corrupt official who had kind of weaseled his way in. But as far as we know, he eventually went back and served out the rest of his life serving the king of Persia. Nehemiah was one of the last great heroes of the Old Testament before the time of Christ. He was a faithful servant to the king. He was a man of prayer. He was a strong, confident, and humble leader of the people. And he was a man set on faithfully finishing the job that God had given him to do. And he's one of my personal heroes of the Bible. So, I told you the whole story. So, what are some themes we can take away? Well, there's three main themes we can take away from Nehemiah. First, we can pray and press forward. So, Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Whether he faced opposition or opportunity, whether he faced joy or sorrow, he would pray and then step forward in faith. So I've struggled in the past with feeling anxious or worried. I've been stretched very thin over the last couple of months. I've been working three part-time jobs. I have three kids at home. I'm into training and involved in ministry. And there's just a lot going on in life. And with all these responsibilities and things, it just weighs on me as I try to get it all done. And I'm always worried I'm in the wrong place or with the wrong person or that I forgot to do something. And as I get overwhelmed... Uh, a verse comes to mind that I memorized years ago, and it's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So in those instances where I feel overwhelmed, I know all I can do is turn it over to God to cast my worry on Him and ask Him for help. Like Nehemiah before he faced the king, when we turn our worry into prayer to God, we know we can have faith knowing that God's going to help us out. So as I turn my worry over to God, 
All those things I'm facing don't go away. The pressure is still there. But what God does is he takes my worry away and gives me a peace about it. And that allows me to focus on what needs to be done so I can focus and do the next right thing before me. We also have to trust God to help us move forward. Nehemiah had no idea what the king's response was going to be to his request. Proverbs 16.9 tells us that the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. The 2% of people who left Persia and left the comfort stepped out in faith as they moved forward along that big orange line back to Jerusalem. They didn't know what danger or hardship was in store for them. They probably had no idea they are going to have to figure out how to build a wall with one hand while holding a sword with another. I don't know how I would do that. But these guys stepped out in faith and they trusted God to go with them. Each day we face decisions. We rely on our experience, on the counsel of others, and our own reasoning abilities. And that's good. But when it comes to big, weighty decisions, we, we often approach God and we want to lay out everything in front of us and hope that he'll guide us in the process. And if you're like me, I usually hope he's just going to tell me what to do. But our God is a loving father. He wants us to reach out to him when we're upset or worried about things or when we're facing a big decision. He wants to help us make the right decision. But we can't just pray and just wait for God. He wants us to pray and then step out in faith and to follow him, just like Nehemiah and the other people of Jerusalem did. So we're to pray and then do the next right thing before us. So when I lost my job last year, uh, I had a multiple, God pre- presented me with multiple job interviews and opportunities. And I wasn't sure which job or combinations of jobs to take. So I was able to talk to my wife and some wise people at church. And I prayed that God would help me make the, the right decision. But did he tell me which job to take? No, but he helped me to, um, he took my worry away, like I said, and then I stepped forward in faith. And as I chose the jobs, I've since seen God come through and provide for my family and give me a lot of peace and uh, take away a lot of stress that I had from prior experiences. The next big thing we can take away from Nehemiah is about opportunity and opposition. So Nehemiah was doing his job. He was serving King Artaxerxes faithfully when his brother came with the heart-wrenching news about his homeland and that its walls were broken down and that his city was vulnerable. So Nehemiah had an opportunity to step out and follow God to help restore the safety of his people as well as create positive changes for them back home and help his people move back towards following God and his ways. God uses people who are available to him and willing to cooperate with him. There's always going to be opportunities to serve God and to do the right thing. But when opportunity comes, there's often opposition as well. The enemies surrounding the city of Jerusalem did not want it to be rebuilt. They used deceit, manipulation, slander, lies, and open threats of violence against the people to prevent them from rebuilding it. But rebuilding the city was an amazing opportunity, and it was not going to be easy. So Nehemiah called out to God, and to help him seize this opportunity, he assessed the mess around him and decided what needed to be done, began to prepare to battle against this opposition. When Jesus was first beginning his ministry, we see in Matthew four nineteen through 20, he said to the people, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. So when opportunity arises to follow God, we need to take it. He was, he's prepared each of us uh, with the ability to accomplish what he's asked us to do. In First Peter 4.10, we see that it says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 
So one of the best ways I've found to get connected here at Church in the Valley or within our community groups is to serve. My very first Sunday at CIV was around 20 years ago at a small middle school in Diamond Bar. After the service was done, everyone got up, folded up their chairs, and walked it over and put it away. And this really stood out to me. This church had a culture of serving the church and serving other people. And so what I did was I joined a team on a Sunday morning, and as I started working alongside other people, I developed a lot of relationships. And some of those relationships have still continued on today. So as you start serving people in the church, though, you can expect opposition. We have a spiritual enemy that doesn't want you to grow in your faith or to trust in God. This spiritual enemy doesn't want you to obey God or grow closer to him or experience these blessings of these relationships. And that may be why when you get into the car to go to church, you have a fight with your wife or your spouse or your kids or kids. Maybe you fight with your parents on the way there. Um, you may, for the youth, you may be on your way to our student ministry and you, maybe you get a text from a friend who's really angry with you. These kind of thoughts will come and deflate you ever before you walk through the door. So for me, on the first night of one of our community groups one year, I left work only to find out that my car and another guy's had been broken into. So because this wasn't an emergency, it took a long time for an officer to respond and file the report. So our community groups are a wonderful opportunity to get to know and love other people and see what how God wants us to live our lives together and a time to encourage one another. And the last thing that the enemy wanted me to do was to lead the people in doing just that. So I had this opportunity to get really angry at God, to give into temptation of sin and get really frustrated at the situation. But thankfully, God helped me recognize this opposition and I had an opportunity to serve that night. So I contacted my wife and some guys from the group and people came early. They got the house ready and set up so that by the time the police came, I could go and just go right into a group and get things going for that night without frustration. So whenever you have opportunity, you can expect opposition, but you can't let it sideline you. Trust God, ask him for help, and then continue to move forward. And our final theme is the idea of building and battling. God is looking for those who are going to stand in the gap, like the men of Jerusalem, for those who will stand up and do what is right. But he never said this is going to be easy. As Nehemiah and the people of the city rebuilt the walls, they did so with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. Under God's direction, Nehemiah led the people to rebuild the walls. He led the spiritual revival of the people there, and he directed the restoration of the Jews to their homeland while rebuilding their faith in God. My dad, who I talked about earlier, had an opportunity to build a business in an environment that was working against him. He had, a, he had to battle frustration and worry and push forward, asking God to bless his hard work as he sought to provide for his family. God has given us a mission. Here at Church in the Valley, we want to invite our neighbors to discover Christ through his life-changing community. We have an opportunity to follow Pastor Randy as we partner with God to build the church here in Ontario. We have an opportunity to love our neighbors and the city around us. But like the people of Nehemiah, we're going to battle too. Like the people under Nehemiah, we can get discouraged um, by the people around us. And we can be tempted to give into fear and not share our faith or share encouragement with our neighbors or our family or the people around us. 
So in order to have to build, we have to battle these enemy thoughts of fear and discouragement. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You are not alone. God is bigger than what we fear. As you follow the Lord as the boss of your life, as you do what he says is the best way, he's going to give you opportunities to partner with him and to build his church. You can expect opposition as these opportunities come up and that you're going to have to battle through. First, pray and proceed forward with what God has called you to do, even if you're going to have to carry a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. As you partner with God to build, you're going to continually have to battle. It's not easy. But you're not going to be able to find triumph without going through some trouble first. You're going to have to trust in God to give you the strength to press forward to battle through these, these fears and do what he asks you to do. So there's some next steps we can take as we wrap up our message today. I want to give you some opportunities to try and apply what we talked about. So the first thing you could do is pray about a difficult situation you're facing and ask God for help to step forward in faith as you obey him in this area. Next, you could take the opportunity to serve in the church. Consider joining a Sunday morning service team or ask your community group leader about what you could do to serve in the group. Finally, you could ask someone at the church about how to battle enemy thoughts such as anger, fear, discouragement, or resentment, or some other negative emotion you're struggling with. So thank you for joining us today. Let me close this in prayer. God, thank you for this opportunity to learn about one of the great heroes of the Old Testament, Nehemiah, a man of faith and prayer who really trusted in you to guide him and help help him to walk forward as he served you. God, you've given us opportunities to build as we partner with you, build our families, build relationships around us, build our church here in Ontario. But through that, we're going to have to battle. We're going to have to battle enemy thoughts and emotions. And we're also going to have to battle an enemy who doesn't want us to succeed or to grow closer to you. So God, I pray that we can, we can, like the men of Nehemiah, be shoulder to shoulder and work together to build what you've given us to do, to complete the task you've given us, that we can pray and trust you as we proceed forward to do the next right thing. Help us make the right decisions as we trust you and we step out in faith, not really sure how it's going to work out. We thank you and we ask all this in your son's name we pray. Amen.